to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. The Word of God says in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Hi, Alex McFarlane here. We've got a very special edition of Truth and Liberty tonight. We're going to talk about the Lord being glorified through the arts. And we'll talk about a whole lot of other things as well. Our very special guest tonight is Kevin Sorbo. And uh, let, me, let me say how much I respect um, this actor, producer, director. He's an author as well. We'll get into his uh, work. But Kevin Sorbo, most of the world first knew him, I, I would say, in the television series Hercules, where he played Hercules for um, I think six or seven seasons. And then, of course, in the, the movie God's Not Dead. But here's a guy, I, I respect him because he's risen to the top of media and entertainment. And he's done so as Christian. He has been um, just a consistent role model and a witness for Christ and produced excellent content all along the way. And he's graciously made time to be with us. He's got a brand new movie coming out, Miracle in East Texas. We'll talk about that and how you can watch that movie. And I encourage you to do so. But uh, Kevin Zorbo, welcome to Truth and Liberty. We're honored to have you. Welcome to beer. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So um, I want to get into the new movie, and you've got a book out. But um, tell us about your journey. Um, what what led you to want to go into media and entertainment? Um, well, it was. I grew up in a little town in Minnesota called Mound, Minnesota. It's on the western edge of Lake Minnetonka, about twenty five miles west of Minneapolis. And uh, the Guthrie Theater is a very famous theater in Minneapolis. In fact, a lot of plays start there before going to Broadway, um, Lion King being one of the most famous ones. And uh, we went there on a fifth grade field trip to watch The Merchant of Venice. Now, I was 11. It was Shakespeare. I don't know what the heck they were saying, but huh. I was completely mesmerized by the actors on stage. My mom was a chaperone. I sat next to her on the bus ride back home. Uh, and she said, what do you think? And I was a little bit quiet. And I said, you know what, Mom? I'm going to be an actor. And she kind of gave me that mom's pat on the leg. And she said, well, that's nice, dear. And uh, But the seat had been set. I mean, but I was a jock. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy out through high school and into college and everything and just loved playing sports. So it wasn't something you wanted to admit to do because in the drama class in my junior high school, we kind of made fun of those kids, even though I wanted to be part of those group at the same time. It's that whole that whole click world that we live in going through those years. But in college, I had a double major in business, had a minor in drama. I knew what I wanted to do. Um, Minneapolis is home and St. Paul is home to a lot of big uh, companies that are headquarters there. You got yep. you got Best Buy, 3M, Target, Honeywell, Pillsbury, General Mills. So I started doing a lot of commercials through those companies and getting that all important Screen Actors Guild card, that SAG card you got to get to be able to get any kind of work. So when I finished college, when I moved out to L.A. to pursue that actor's dream, it was easy for me to get a commercial agent. I didn't know anybody in L.A., but I already got a commercial agent ahead of time. And um, just started pursuing that dream, you know, and you mentioned earlier, I mean, my first big break was was Hercules. It was supposed to be one year 
in New Zealand. Um, for us, for us older people out there, you you would all not remember the name Anthony Quinn. Well, Anthony Quinn played Zeus. So I got a whole year working with Anthony Quinn. And for the younger people who don't know him, they should. I mean, he's yeah. a, he's been nominated six times for Oscars. He won twice. Um, famous for Lawrence of Arabia, Requiem for Heavyweight, um, uh, Zorba the Greek. I mean, all these yeah. great movies. And by halfway through the third movie, Universal Studios called up and they said, we love what we see. You're going to stay down there and stay and make it a TV series. Well, um, pardon the sin of pride, but by season three, we actually became the most watched television show in the entire world. And we were in 176 countries. It was crazy. And then seven years in that five in Andromeda. And then uh, I just started doing Andromeda was the first show Gene Roddenberry wrote after Star Trek. For me, as a kid growing up watching Star Trek, it was so oh, yeah. cool to play the first captain ever created after Captain Kirk with Captain Dylan Hunt. So um, after that, I just got involved with movies, wanted to do independent movies. And you mentioned God's Not Dead, but uh, there was a movie before that that was really instrumental for me. And then I've done a lot of movies since then. Yeah. Uh, did you ever meet Gene Roddenberry? I didn't because he passed away in 1992. So that was a year before he even got Hercules. But okay. I was on the end of season. I end of season seven, and his his widow, Majel Roddenberry, called me up. I was down in New Zealand where I shot all of Hercules for seven years, and uh, she said my husband wrote a show in 1969 called Andromeda, and I think if he was alive right now, after seeing what you've done with Hercules around the world, that he would look at you and say, "There's my Captain Dylan Hunt." And I said, "Majel, you offered me a new TV series." She said, "Yes, I am." I said, "Then speak no further. I'm a big fan of your husband's work." So. Uh, Count me in. So we got a nice five-year run with that series as well. Sure. Let me ask you this. In um, the, the video and film craft, I mean, did you have any heroes or were there any role models that you, you know, aspired to, you know, be like? Oh, sure. I mean, I, my, you know, I grew up watching a lot of old uh, black and white movies because of my mom. You know, a lot of movies, yeah. Spencer Tracy, Cary Grant. I was a big fan of Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart. Um, and those are the kind of movies I wanted to be part of and do. Um, yeah. As I got a little bit older, the, I think the heroes for me became Robert Redford and Paul Newman. I think that was the main reason why I really wanted to be an actor as well, because of those guys. Um, in fact, I got a lovely letter here in my office from Paul Newman that I got framed um, that he sent me, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, wow. But um, yeah, those guys kind of led the way for me to want to do that, the, the kind of movies that they were in. And uh, certainly one of my favorite movies of all time, Jimmy Stewart, It's a Wonderful Life, which we ought to watch every oh. Christmas, of course. And, yeah, and, uh, and you know, Frank Capra, the director. I mean, that that's like oh, yeah. in my top three favorite movies. Um, totally yeah. random question. Did you ever meet Gregory Peck? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. When I, when I first moved out to L.A., um, I was lucky enough to stay at a friend's house, a friend of a friend. I don't know who the woman was, but she was renting out some of her rooms. Um, so uh, she was friends with Gregory Peck, and he came over one night, so I got to meet him. And he was tall like me. I'm 6'3". I mean, this big guy, he's got that amazing voice. Um, yeah. And that was, that was pretty cool. Uh, I, I think one of the first parties I ever got invited to, I met this guy at, at my gym. And uh, uh, we kind of became workout partners and stuff like that. And he invites me over to his house one night. He said, yeah, I want you, not his house. He said, I want you to meet my mom. And I said, meet your mom? So <laughs> what's that about? That was kind of weird. Oh, she's having a party. You'll love it. You get, you'll, you'll meet a lot of famous people. I went, really? Not realizing that his mom was his stepmom. It was um, it was um, Joan Collins from Dynasty, and at this party, I met I met so many people. I mean, I met Elton John for Cronulla. I met uh, I met uh, Shirley MacLaine. I met uh, George Papard. I met 
uh, Sting was there. I mean, all these people. And I'm like looking around. I'm, I'm from a town of 7,000 people. So I was, right, this right. was my first year in L.A. So it was like I was just like blown away by Barbara Streisand. I mean, it was just amazing the people were at this party. So it was pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. You, you know, when you're in that environment, um, and, and I want to segue to Miracle in East Texas, sure. but let, let's camp out here just a minute, uh, Kevin, because, you know, the world is kind of obsessed with celebrity, you know. Um, yeah. So what's it like? You're, you're in a room with the people that have made the most famous pieces of entertainment for the last 50 sure. years. What, what's it like at a gathering like that? Well, I think in that environment, they were not on guard. I think in public, they become a little more guarded. When right. they're with their, you know, their group of people, uh, they came across to me as pretty much regular people. They were just, I mean, I, I was the outcast, really. I was just like, oh, you're friends with Robert. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah, are you an actor? Oh, well, good luck, you know? I mean, they were all very encouraging, and there was no, I I, I mean, sure, there are egos out there, but I didn't, I didn't notice that. I mean, to me, I was, like, blown away by how uh, just conversational they all were. But I think a lot of it has to do, as I found out later in life, um, they, were, they, were, they were just more... You know they're they're not they're unguarded. I, I just you know I did a movie called Soul Surfer with Dennis Quaid. Oh, yeah, Dennis, sure. you know, very famous guy. You know, and he's on guard when he's out in public. I mean, he's kind of like, okay, what does this person want? And and I and I kind of get it. You know, and I, mm. I I when I got Hercules and started realizing how famous that show was and the thousands of letters that were coming into the studio all around the world, I was like, wow, this is really strange. I remember going back home one Christmas. And going into shopping at Target with my mom for Christmas, and they had a big wall of Hercules toys and swords and things like that. And I just looked at it. And I looked at my mom. I go, "Is this just weird or what?" Because it was it was very surreal to me. But yeah. I think because I'm not an overnight success, I put my time in. I took my lumps. I took my bruises. And I, I came from a small town. I came from a very strong Lutheran background, typical second Norwegian, second generation Norwegian. I grew up in St. John's Lutheran Church. Was our church. Um, and the church was always very important in our family. You know, I went every Sunday and every Wednesday. We had Wednesdays, we had uh, sort of like a church, just school thing for teenagers, which was really, really cool. We had a place called The Room, where we all hung out. And our, our youth pastor was was the guy that really brought the Bible into our world, you know, brought, made it more. Uh, the, our original pastor, who was like 70 years old at the time, pretty much scared the heck out of all the rest of us kids. So yeah. he was very intimidating. But Pastor Lee was was very uh, just kind of like one of the gang. He was like 23 or 24 years old. You know, he was just he was just this cool guy that really brought the Bible into our world. So he was very instrumental, I think, in my faith journey as well. Um, was it hard to be a Christian in Hollywood? It wasn't until the last like 15 years. It's just gone crazy and it's accelerated on itself. Um, I met plenty of people that were Christians that were, you know, followers of the Jewish faith and um, whatever. And it's just, but it's it, it it's so amazing what has happened within our government, within our media. With, I mean, Andrew Breitbart was a dear friend of ours. He created the Blaze, and he sure. said politics is downstream from culture. Well, who runs the culture? Well, Hollywood does. The mainstream media does. 
in uh, Washington, D.C. just follows everything what Hollywood t- tells them to do, really. And and the, the, the anger and the divisiveness and the sexuality and everything that's coming out of Hollywood right now is just sort of accelerating on itself. And I'm actually one of the first people, really, you consider the first cancel culture victim in Hollywood because a dozen years ago, my manager and agent called me in and said, we can't work with you anymore. And I said, what do you mean? Well, it's going to be tough to get you in because you're you're kind of vocal on, this, on the Internet. And you, I go... I'm not vocal, angry ways. I, I put Bible verses up sometimes, or I'll put, you know, hey, I got this job, you know, praise God, and and uh, I would I would definitely question other other things, other motives, motives of what Hollywood is doing. I said, look at the movies Hollywood's putting right now, filled with so much anger and hate, and yeah. all of a sudden they we can't work anymore. And I I, I wasn't angry. I kind of laughed about it. I said, you're the industry that screams for tolerance. You scream for freedom of speech, but Hollywood is just as hypocritical as Washington, D.C. It's a one-way street with these guys. So um, yeah. I form my own company, SorboStudios.com, because I still love the business. Hollywood right. doesn't owe me anything. It's frustrating. They're not going to call me for any more big-budget movies anymore or television shows. And that's a little frustrating, but you know what? I like the road I'm on. I like the movies that I'm putting out there. You know, we meet a lot of young people that that want to act and they want to script write and um, I, I encourage young people to pursue the arts because I really do think, and, and maybe you would agree, um, the arts, especially with excellence, that is a, a very powerful way to influence the culture, isn't it? Well, perfectly segue for, for me. Uh, Walt Disney said back in the 1950s that movies and television will influence our youth. Well, old Walt was definitely right because, and I, even though that was like 70 years ago, um, Walt Disney is probably flipping in his grave what Disney has done to his name because the movies and trash that comes out of, they're they're looking at over a billion dollar loss this year. I'm grateful for that. The, 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 the so-called silent majority, which I'm getting sick of the silent majority. How, how bad do things got to get you people for you to wake up and not be afraid? Uh, You know, fear is an amazing weapon. And uh, who uses that weapon more than anybody is our government. And uh, don't, don't, you know, the only person who's supposed to fear is the Lord. It's in the Bible. You know, I mean, I understand fear, as a whole, but the reality is, I think most things we worry about in life never happen anyway. But uh, what Hollywood's doing, uh, it's unbelievable. But Disney's going to take over a billion dollar loss this year, and that's not a very good way to run your business. So I'm glad people are waking up and saying, you know, enough of this woke stuff, enough of this cancel culture stuff. Do not support these companies that that are the opposite of what your beliefs are, and just stop supporting them. It's a pretty simple thing to do, but once again, people are afraid. Oh my gosh, if I speak up, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna cancel me. They're gonna, I'll lose my job. Well, I lost mine. I found yeah. a way to keep it going in movies that have a positive message, and that's what I'm. Like I said, I'm just gonna keep on marching on. And and isn't it true, Kevin, that the um, sometimes people speak of family friendly movies and things like that, sure. but uh, a good story. Uh, things that have morals and something uplifting and positive. I mean, those projects do make money, don't they? Of course they do. They do very well. Look at the Kendrick brothers do very well with their movies. The Irwin brothers do very well. Sorbo Studios, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're burgeoning. We're coming out there. You know, we, we don't do as big a budget as those guys do, but we do like $3 million movies. And I know people go, that's a lot of money. 
That's catering budget on, in Hollywood. That's they, yeah. they do three hundred million dollar movies: Thor, Spider Man, Avenging, whatever. Those are they have a hundred million dollar advertising budget. So that's what we're fighting to cancel yeah. the the culture war that Hollywood is winning because they got the power to put a commercial on every football game and every sitcom on TV. We got to rely on word of mouth. You mentioned God's Not Dead. Two million dollar budget made one hundred forty million dollars. That was all because of people supporting it and and telling other people to watch it. We need that with more of these more of these faith-based movies because they're yeah. out there. I say faith-based. Every movie is a faith-based movie. If you're an atheist, that's an amazingly strong belief to believe in absolutely nothing. And right. every movie Hollywood puts out, they have their agenda as well. And there, I remember that. I remember the producers I saw in an interview from Friends. They said, oh yeah, we're going to push this issue. We're going to push that issue. Funny show. Sure, it was a funny show. But yeah. I'll tell you, they 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 had a they had an agenda with that series as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the worldview of the creators of any medium, you know, film or literature mm -hmm. or, you know, television, I mean, the, invariably, the worldview of the one making it is going to shine through, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, no, no question. No question about that. Um, I do. Something just hit my head because you mentioned God's Not Dead. What really got me going to start doing these movies that had a, I call them family friendly. I hate saying yeah. faith based because I think every movie is faith based. Um, in 2010, a friend of mine gave me a script that he was directing and I read it and I said, Who's playing Pastor Ben? He said, Well, I'm, I'm looking at this guy, this guy. I said, No, no, I'm playing it. He goes, Man, I can't afford you. So this is such a low budget movie. And I said, Is it a screen act? Is it a SAG movie? And he goes, Yes, it is. Pay me the minimum then. If you're going to pay everybody else the lowest amount for a for a low budget SAG movie, then pay me that same. He goes, really? He goes, I have to play this movie. Well, the movie's called What If. Now, okay. in my book, in my 83 movies I shot, What If is in my top three. And if you Ooh. haven't seen it, it's only because they're so difficult to get these movies out. So, by the way, two things about What If. Number okay. one, it was written by the same guys, Chuck and Carrie, that wrote my movie, God's Not Dead. All right. Okay. Number two was directed by a guy named Dallas Jenkins, who's doing the thing called The Chosen right now. So yeah. it's kind of like the start of my road to do movies like that and the start of Dallas's road to do movies like that. I highly recommend What If. It's great, great movie. I wish they would re-release it on theaters because it doesn't age. It's a wonderful... John Ratzenberg is in it. Christy Swanson in it. Uh, Debbie Ryan is in it. Uh, people, yeah. A lot of people know her, her Disney show. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just a wonderful, touching, funny, heartfelt movie, and I highly recommend it. So is it on, like, Netflix or Paramount Plus? It's on, I believe, it was, on, it was, it was a PureFlix movie, and PureFlix sold themselves their streaming service to a Sony Affirmed, which did all the Kendrick Brothers movies like War Room, and then they yeah. sold themselves to, is it called GAC? I'm trying to remember where it is. But it's still out there. I think it's still out there on PureFlix. Oh, if you want an autographed copy, then go to sorbostudios.com and I'll give yes. you an autographed copy. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Now, uh, people go to your website, sorbostudios.com. What, what all is there on your website, Kevin? A lot of stuff is on there. All the movies that I've been involved with, uh, all my wife's information on there. We are both our sites are together. My wife is a huge homeschool advocate. We homeschooled all three of our kids. Yeah. Um, she traveled the country speaking on homeschooling. Uh, speaking of COVID, I think that's one of the few blessings of COVID was the fact that 2 million more families are now homeschooling after they finally woke up and looked at public schools and said, wow, look what the school boards of the, and the public schools are doing to our kids. And I tell people all the time, get out of public schools. I know they're going, well, oh, I don't know if I can do this. 
Get out of them. Yeah, I mean, even Bill Maher last yeah. week said, do not send your kids to universities. And I totally agree. Unless you're going to Liberty or Hillcrest or, or Oral Roberts or something like that. Um, I, just spoke, I just spoke at Liberty University. What a beautiful campus it is. What an amazing place. And, uh, uh, well, we screened a, my movie for the student body. You're there? You went there? Well, I, I'm a three-time grad of Liberty. But, awesome. Um, that campus uh, is crazy beautiful. Well, listen, if you like Liberty, you're going to love also Karis. Karis Bible College is in yeah. Woodland Park, Colorado, one of the fastest growing Christian colleges in the world. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's another story for another day, but we got to get you to speak at Karis, and uh, you, you'll have yeah. hope for the future. It's amazing. Well, I, I've, heard, I've heard High Point is a pretty good university, too. High Point. My mother graduated from there. Nito Quilbane is the president. Um, okay. A, a yeah. local colleague and friend, and uh, yes, well, there, point is there are some there's some good ones out there, which is fantastic. But I'm telling you, a lot of universities now, from kindergarten on, everything is this woke agenda, this whole in, indoctrination. It's crazy what we're doing to our country. And uh, segue a little bit to see these college students marching down the streets, uh, uh, promoting Hamas, you know, to it, keep it's killing crazy. Israel. I mean, it is mind-boggling what's happened to this country. I want to talk about that. But folks, if you're just tuning in, Alex McFarland here, Truth and Liberty, we're talking with Kevin Sorbo, and he's got a Fathom film event coming up. And this is so exciting, Miracle in East Texas. Um, Kevin, if you would tell us the, the dates, the theaters, where can people see your newest film? Can I pop this little miniature poster up there? Yay. It's beautiful. Miracle in East Texas. It's a true story. If you go to SorboStudios.com, you can sign up right now. You can buy tickets right now it's a true story set in 1930 about the largest oil find in the history of the world this movie's won 10 different film festivals everything from best romantic comedy to best faith movie to best uh, audience favorite judges favorite it's a wonderful true story about two con men that went through oklahoma and texas wooing widows out of their money on fake oil wells they would sell 500 percent of the shares declare a dry hole and then move on to the next town where they get to kilgore texas by accident they strike oil largest oil find ever, right in the heart of the 1930 depression. Of course, they get arrested because you can't have 5%, 500% of anything. And yeah. um, got a lot of comedy in it, but it's the wonderful true story about hope, about faith, about love, laughter, and redemption, which we need now more than anything in this world. So I hope people, they go to SorboStudios.com, put in, put, uh, click the link for Miracle East Texas, put in your zip code, it'll show you where it's showing here. It's only in America right now, but it's definitely gonna be going out to other countries down, uh, afterwards. But it's a, it's a, I was lucky to direct it. We got John Ratzenberger in there again. We got Lou Gossett Jr. My wife, oh, wow. Sam Sorbo's in it. And uh, and uh, Tyler Mann. A lot of people know Tyler Mann for the younger people. He was um, Sabretooth in all the X Men movies. He's an ex wrestler. He's a six foot ten. This big dude. Uh, he yeah. did a fantastic job in the movie. Wow! And uh, so and it's a true story. True story. True story. And uh, it's it, what it's. Not, I didn't give anything away when you said Miracle in Texas about the largest oil, but it's the miracle that happens afterwards with these two with these two guys. Um, uh, the, the, let me just say the Holy Spirit gets a hold of him. So it, it's a, Amen. it's a one and it, and it's completely true. And, and what's interesting, my wife and I got a little bit more into the history of that area. So if you flash forward a, a dozen years into world war II going on, when the, the allies were running low on gas and oil and everything like that, the pipeline that was built 
from Kilgore up to the East Coast, up to up to Rhode Island area, and shipped that oil over there. When when Hitler and all of his uh, people were completely surrounded, they ran out of gas. Their tanks weren't working. Uh, Winston Churchill said the World War II was won from the uh, gas from East Texas. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay, folks. Here's the assignment. We want to we want to pack the theaters. We want to blow this up. Go to sorbostudios.com and get your tickets. Plan. Did you say it's going to be on 800 screens? We had 800 screens. Let me let me let me let me preface this. Um, okay. With that, they help us independent movies get out the theaters, which is great. So we're in 800 screens across the country. If we fill up those two days, if we fill up those theaters, we will get more days and more time like people did for God's Not Dead. Because we don't have that big budget that Hollywood does to put their movies on 4,000 screens and keep it out there for four months. Uh, this, these movies we need your support more than anything. So it's October 29th and 30th, this coming Sunday and Monday. People can see this movie. But please... You know, we, we all know theater owners don't care what they show. They want to sell yeah. popcorn and soap. So if yeah. a movie's successful, they'll keep it going. Yeah, that's great, yeah. folks. October 29, Miracle in East Texas. Uh, support this movie, folks. Do it. Thank you. Tell your friends. You can share a link. By the way, this program is archived at truthandliberty.net. You can share a link. Uh, the interview with Kevin Sorbo here. Spread the word. Make it go viral, folks. Do that. Um, Kevin, I, I want to ask you a question. Did COVID change the way that movies were marketed? Because I just wondered how those theaters could be, you know, closed for a year and still survive. How, what's COVID? Uh, how has it impacted your industry? Well, I think it impacted everybody, of course. I mean, everything got shut down. People are afraid to shoot anything. You know, once again, the government fear, right? I mean, I live here in Florida. We didn't wear masks here at all. The only time I put on a mask is when I had to get an airplane. Yeah. But, you know, you had different governors in different states that just use it as a weapon to cut people down. Um, and now all that, uh, I got taken off of Facebook over two years ago for speaking the truth. Two and a half years ago, Zuckerberg and his little minions took me down for speaking the truth. I lost millions of followers. And everything that I was saying about COVID was coming mostly from other doctors' points of view. And God forbid you have an opposite point of view. It's like, oh, yeah. it's this only. That's misinformation. I go, I don't know. These are 10,000 doctors saying this. And uh, they end up ultimately taking me down. Of course, everything that I posted, what those doctors were saying, now it's true. In fact, you can follow me on Twitter if you go to at KSorbs. My buddies call me Sorbs, so it's K-S-O-R-B-S. Um, at K Sorbs, you'll get my sarcastic truths every single day. And one of them I said is, um, if you want to get rid of COVID, tell the Clintons that COVID's got something on them. And another huh. one I said, huh. I, I said, um, um, I need more conspiracy theories because all of mine came true. So uh, it's just a really amazing what we've done out there, what we did to high school kids and grade school kids and all these 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 shots where they said, oh, they're purely safe and not, a, you know, you'll never get COVID again with a shot. Then people got it. We'll take a second shot, wear a mask, still got COVID. Take a third shot. We'll call it a booster so it doesn't sound the same, but then wear two masks. You know what? If you got it, you got it. Those shots did nothing except make a lot of people sick. And the, yeah. there's more and more proof coming out what those shots are doing to people right now. Exactly. Okay, folks, in just a few moments after the first break, we're going to take some telephone calls. The number, if you want to call in, if you've got a question for Kevin Sorbo, the number is 719-619-2341, 719-619-2341 on this edition of Truth and Liberty. 
Uh, I've got to ask this before this first break, Kevin. Surely young people probably come up to you and they say, Mr. Sorbo, how do I do what you do? What advice do you have for young people that that want to act or direct or or get into the business you're in? Uh, Don't let anyone set your limitations, especially yourself. I know a lot of people come to me and say, I want to be an actor, but I know that the Hollywood world is very secular. And I said, pursue your passion, pursue your dream. You know, you, you might get offered roles you don't want to take. Well, then don't take them. You know, I mean, I, it, it's this whole thing. Once again, it's all this thing about fear. I get actors coming up to me every set. Every, I mean, camera guys, actors, whatever. They come up to me very quietly like we're doing a drug deal or something. Say, hey, man, thanks for being a voice for us. And I go, do be a voice for yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm shouting from the top. Stop being sheep. Be a lion. Don't be afraid. Do not let people stop you from being the person that you are. Yeah. And let's remember, God can open all the doors, can't he? The Bible says God can open a yep. door no man can shut. And yep. there, there's a look, I got put it out of Hollywood and God opened another door for me. And because he knows I still love this industry. And I know we're called to harvest. And I'm very fortunate to be in an industry that can reach a lot of people like you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Amen. Hey, Truth and Liberty, Alex McFarland here with our very special guest tonight, Kevin Sorbo. His website, sorbostudios.com, sorbostudios.com. Spread the word about his new film. We'll be back after this. Don't go away. With practical government, you have experts in the fields that are sharing their perspective, wisdom, and experience. It's not available anywhere else in the world. We're going to teach a Christian heritage of our American government. They're going to learn about the Founding Fathers. We're teaching the Constitution, how government operates, practical skills, and field study. No matter where you're coming from, the world needs you. Whatever God's calling you to do, you're able to do it. To learn more, visit practicalgovernmentschool.com. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we have big plans to make a big impact. If you want to be a part of turning our nation back to God, I want to invite you to become a supporter of Truth and Liberty. You can go on our website at truthandliberty.net to the donate page and make a gift there. And you can also sign up to be uh, make a recurring automatic gift of $5 or more per month, and then you'll become a Truth and Liberty member. And uh, our gifts to Truth and Liberty are not tax deductible, but I promise you, God sees your generosity. So go to Truth and Liberty and become a member today. We get to stop looking at this word as someday. We gotta look at it, it is for now. And the Spirit of God, don't you think is big enough to teach you, to show you how to do things? Stop thinking that one day when I am super spiritual or when I have the money I need. No, start doing what he called you to do right now with the strength you have. So Father, we say yes to that today. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here. Hey, by the way, folks, if you need prayer, the number is 719-635-1111, 719-635-1111 if you need prayer. And you know, uh, tonight we're talking about faith-based this and the Bible says that. The message of the Bible is that the Lord Jesus Christ loves you and he gave his life for you. And, you know, we have people that call us all the time. In fact, just yesterday I got a message from a viewer that wanted to ask Christ into his heart. 
and uh, he said he, he wanted to talk to me. So I called him, and uh, we can't always do that, but here's the point. God is using this, and tonight, maybe you need to come to the Lord. Maybe you need to come back to the Lord, and the Bible says if you commit your way to the Lord, this is Psalm 37, 4, that he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so Jesus Christ knows you. He cares about you. We often say this, but it's really true. Jesus is as close by as a prayer. So if you need to talk to somebody tonight, you have some spiritual issues you want to deal with, we would be very honored to hear from you at 719-635-1111. And also, truthandliberty.net is the website. Uh, We write a lot of articles. I've got an article that I'm finishing up right now about the shooting in the Upper Northeast, 22 people dead, just our nation so desperately needs to find its way back to God. But you can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe all of the content that we're producing, it's yours to uh, hopefully encourage you and you will feel equipped to influence others as well. If you've got a question for our very special guest, Kevin Sorbo, tonight, the question line is 719-619-2341. Kevin, again, thanks for being with us on Truth and Liberty. Uh, We've talked about film and television, but you're also a published author. And uh, let's talk about your books and what's your latest book. Well, I, I wrote two books prior to this one. One's called True, True Strength, My Journey from Hercules, a Mere Mortal, and How Nearly Dying Saved My Life. And I have a follow-up book my wife wrote with me. That's called True Faith. True Faith. Um, but uh, my, my newest, newest one right here is called The Test of Lionhood. This is from Brave Books. Go to bravebooks.com. And they do okay. books for kids between four years old and like 10 year, years of age. And uh, they got a hold of me. I, I don't know if, if you remember last year, Kirk Cameron had his brave book and they were banning him from reading it in public libraries. I remember, yeah. I mean, it's like, like I know Kirk. He was my neighbor for the last 10 years we lived in California. He was my neighbor. And if you know Kirk, he's such an amazingly sweet guy. He's not like an intimidating factor for these little kids. But these same public libraries were okay with drag queens reading to their seven-year-olds. I mean, it's just, it, it, that's what I'm saying. You, you look at this, and I saw some of these drag queen outfits. There was one that looked like she, he dressed up like Satan. Just yeah. horns coming out of the head. And it, just, it was just scary looking. And reading children's books to these kids. I go, what is going on with our world right now? This doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm the one who shouted earlier about waking up the lions um, and not being let, letting fear control your lives. This book is the craziness that we've going on with our kids right now. Let kids yeah. be kids. You know, this is a simple little story. It's about Lucas the lion cub. He's, he's like a nine, 10 year old kid. He's out playing in the woods with his sisters. She gets, well, the youngest one gets cut by this uh, plant that's very, very deadly. He knows he has no time to run back home. He's got to go the other way near the mountain because he knows that's where his father told him is the only flower that can save the person's life. So he's got to get past his insecurities. He's got to get past his fear. He's got to get past all kinds of little things to fight back and, 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 and roadblocks and from to grow up, to slowly grow up, to try to be a man, to be a strong man. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and this book is not anti-anything. It's pro-child is what it is. It's a wonderful story because the alphabet crowd went after me, of course. And I said, you didn't even read the book. You're going after me because you don't like what I stand for. It's as simple as that. So I hope people go to bravebooks.com. Um, and they can get the autographed copy book free from me as long as they join. Then for the next year, they'll get a new book every single year from other uh, other authors. And I think people will love it. Uh, th- that's great. I mean, that's a win-win on every level. Plus, it's promoting reading. And yes. moms and dads, yes. 
You know, they say if a student is a strong reader, they can do well in any subject in school. The test of see, lionhood. That's really great. The test of lionhood. Did you see what Oregon, the state of Oregon just passed? Oh, my. See, they, I was going to talk about you that. You don't have to be able to read or write to graduate any longer. You know, that's it's crazy. Pro probably six or seven months ago, I had the privilege on a radio show. I, I interviewed your wife, actually, about getting kids out of public school. And yeah. um, I wanted to talk about that. And folks, if you don't know what uh, Kevin was talking about in Oregon, I mean, it, it's crazy, not to mention racist. And, and I want to throw to you here in a second. Oh, yeah. But look, math, reading, science, history, you have to have no competency. It doesn't matter if you even know how to read. In Oregon, you'll yeah. graduate. And Kevin, it really made my, my heart heavy because it said minorities having standards. This was the quote from the yeah. Oregon school leaders, having standards for graduation uh, was oppressive to minorities because they can't learn. I mean, how demeaning is that? Isn't that terrible? Well, and I, when I keep waiting, when's the black population going to wake up to that? Most of the black America was, was conservative until the, the 60s. The 60s, there was a tide that changed everything. And the majority of of black relations, the mother and father, they had a much higher stay together rate than white people did. Now in the black community, 80% of kids are raised without a father. And there's a, and these are stats that can be backed up, people. I'm not making this stuff up. I mean, I, I have a program called The World Fit for Kids for 20 plus years now in the state of California. It's the number one after school program in the state. And most of the kids we work with are, are the black community or Hispanic community. I work with 12,000 kids every year. L.A. Unified is second only to Baltimore with the worst graduation rates in the country. Baltimore is over 60 percent. Uh, L.A. Unified has averaged over 50 percent. The 12,000 kids in my program, we have a 98 percent graduation rate and a 67 percent higher GPA. But where is the congratulations on what we're doing with these kids and why are school boards doing what we do for just three hours after school? It's unbelievable what we're doing with the kids. And if you remember right, it was apparently racist to show a driver's license or a, an ID of any kind to vote. So if you, apparently if you're a minority, you don't need to have an ID to vote. How is that racist? That's just, that, that, is, that is the Democrat Party, the left telling you, you aren't smart enough to be able to get an ID. That's what they're telling you. Yeah. It's just crazy what we're doing. Well, it is crazy. And, and look, folks, let's, let's just say it. these are the Democrats the Democrat Party that prides themselves on being inclusive and diverse. They're very elitist, very condescending. And I really think, like you're saying, it's very racist to imply that a minority voter isn't smart enough to have an ID and show a photo ID to cast a vote. I mean, it's just so elitist and arrogant and, frankly, racist, isn't it? Who started the KKK? It's a Democrat party that started that. What yeah. party was the party that didn't want blacks to be able to vote? That was the that was the that was the Democrats once again. So I mean, the list goes on and on. And how they it's just weird. I I I, I try to figure out why they want to keep following. I love that there's some very famous African Americans like Charles Barkley out there and Shaquille O'Neal and guys saying, "Why are you voting for the same party that has made things worse for us?" We, you know, we still have the slums. Look at Detroit. Detroit's a perfect example of what liberalism can do to a city. It was the most profitable uh, economic center of America back in the 50s. 
Three and a half million people living there. Now they're down to 600,000 people and the half, you know, 90% of buildings are just sitting there in slums. They're, do they're doing really hard to build it back. And I realize that. I totally yeah. see that going on. There. But they've destroyed that city in so many ways. And once again, I got to say, how bad has it got to get before people wake up and say, maybe this isn't the right thing to do? California, 7 million have moved out in the last 10 years to really? other states, including where I'm at, Florida, Tennessee, Texas, 1,000 people a day moving into those states. So why are people leaving if it's such a wonderful place? California used to be awesome. I loved it when I moved there in the in mid-80s. It was a great place to be. It ain't great anymore. And it's, it's horrible what they've done in that state. Yeah, and, and the, the exodus out of California to places like Texas and Florida, I mean, it's, it's measurable, isn't it? And they vote the same way again. <laughs> it's like... Yeah. So, so here's a question, and um, I, I see we have callers. We'll get to you, but um, do you think that the the people coming from the left coast or coming from the blue states to the red states is that going to change the voting uh, pH of of what once were red states? I think it is. I think it's happening. It happened in Colorado, certainly. Colorado's pretty much lost. Uh, happened in New Mexico. It's happening in Arizona, if that makes any sense to you. And now it's happening even in Texas. Uh, you know, things are changing in there. I, I, I don't know if it's on purpose that people leave the state that they, or they just, they're just not thinking properly. Go, why? It's so horrible here now. There's, the crime is high. The taxes are high. Uh, look at the, look at the stuff on the streets. People are doing drugs on the streets and they're making a mess, tents everywhere. Let's move out of here. But then vote the same way again? It, it got, look at, look at who's running your state. If you look at everything down the West Coast, you look at Seattle, you look at Portland, home of Antifa, uh, which our President Biden calls it an idea, where they can walk through and destroy people's businesses and they hit people with baseball bats and tire irons and burn down police cars. But that's an idea. And CNN stands there with buildings blowing up saying, this is mostly a very peaceful demonstration here. You're going, what, what world are these people living in that they allow this to continue without people saying, wait a minute, this is completely wrong. And that's why I'm telling right now, parents need to wake up with what's going on in public schools as well, because the indoctrination is so bad on our kids. And these are the kids that grow up and join Antifa down the road. It's just unbelievable. Well, surely I, I can't be the first person to ask you the question I'm about to ask. But uh, Kevin Sorbo, do you ever think about running for office? <laughs> um, I, they tried to make me come back to California a couple of years ago to run against Newsom on the recount. They had Larry Elders, a dear friend of mine. He yeah. threw his hat in the ring. And I said the same thing. I like Pastor Jack Hibbs and some other highly influential people there in California sure. asked me if I'd come back. My answer was the same. I said, you guys have any long needles? Because I'd rather stick my eyes in those needles than come back to the state of California. So I, don't, I have no interest in that. I've had people ask me that a lot. I do a lot of speaking events on Christian education, on pro-life. Um, and afterwards, I get somebody, when I'm in my book signing afterwards, I get a lot of people say, you should run for office. Um, I have zero interest in doing that. I think my wife should. I think she's a lot smarter than me. And she's, uh, uh, as much as I'm talking this way now, she's even uh, she's even more so than I am. But uh, I have no interest. I, I like doing what I'm doing. This is my calling right now. Well, well, well amen. But, uh, you know, um, you, you'd be good. You'd be good. Uh, well, just think about it. <laughs> Let, let's go to our first call. Uh, we're going to go to South Carolina. Linda in South Carolina, thanks for holding. Welcome to Truth and Liberty and our guest, Kevin Sorbo. Thank you, Kevin. I'm so proud of you for standing up for God and his word and truth. And I was just curious, have you 
many opportunities these recent days and weeks to be a witness to other Hollywood celebrities or have they just pretty much turned their back on you and and you surround yourself with those whom uh, you basically have same faith and beliefs in? Um, you know, I don't live in Hollywood anymore. I live in Florida. I left five years ago. We were talking about, my wife and I were talking about moving, my gosh, 15 years ago. We both got family in the state. We got tired of what they've destroyed California with. But I got to tell you, every movie I've been doing, certainly the last six or seven years, um, I get an actor, I get a camera guy, a lighting guy, wardrobe, whatever it may be, come up to me and say, thanks for being a voice, you know, and I tell them what you need to be a voice. Um, I've had people stop me in the, the airport lobbies, hotel lobbies, whatever, and say, you know what, I don't think the way you do. I was a fan of your Hercules show, so I was still sort of interested in what you're doing now. And I saw I saw your movie, Let There Be Light. And, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I'll tell you what, I thought it was a pretty good movie. For me, that's a win. Uh, yeah. The whole idea is, th 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 that's my way of sort of being, you know, telling when God tells us to go out there and, and harvest. Um, I've had people come up. To, I, the first time it happened was actually God's Not Dead at Salt Lake City Airport. I was with my family within a ski trip up in Park City, Utah. And we're heading back home. This woman walked up to me um, with her little daughter, seven or eight years old. And she said, are you Kevin Sorbo? And I said, yes, I am. And I could tell by her voice, you know, she was somewhere in the Middle East. She says, well, I, I'm from originally from Iraq. Um, I live in Arizona now. But I saw your movie, God's Not Dead, and I became a Christian because of your movie. And uh, my daughter and I just got baptized. And she starts crying. I start crying. My wife starts crying. We're standing up praying for her right in the middle of the, uh, the, of the all the gates that are leaving on, in Salt Lake City. And um, that happens all the time now. On SorboStudios.com, we get emails from people. So please, you can sign up there and keep up to date with what we got going on. But I get people all the time saying, your movies helped change my life. And uh, to me, that's um, that's an incredible uh, it's an incredible, incredible thing to hear, and it's incredibly gratifying to know that people are out there that they're getting touched by the movie. I've had pastors stop me and, and you know, say, you know what? I only got a small flock of a hundred people, and I said, you, it took a, it took a drop of water to start the ocean, sir. You, you, it's not a small flock. You have a flock, and I, I, I think pastors should be aware of all the faith-based production companies out there and tell their flocks to go support these movies. You know, show the trailer at church or something and say, what do you think? This looks like a fun movie to take your family to. So um, that's kind of my way of doing it right now. Um, I, I have met with actors that are atheists, certainly, and we have conversations. I still got atheist friends and agnostic friends. I have liberal friends and we can give each other a hard time, but we're still friends. Sure. I don't harbor that anger to the other side. I don't harbor that at all. I this they they're the ones that saying they're that they're the they're the ones that are the the friendly and therefore you know uh, you know kumbaya. But they're not. They're very angry and they're they're very organized in their anger, which I think everybody is quite well aware of. Yeah, and uh, Kevin, I I commend you. You know, and, and I tell. Christian people, look, be friends with atheists. Don't just cloister away with fellow believers. We love fellow believers, but um, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be the salt scattered out there to make the world thirsty. And um, look, folks, when you give your life to Christ, you become a believer. That's all the more reason to stay in the lives of the atheists, the non-believers, and the people that are searching for truth, or or maybe they're not searching for truth, but you're the only truth in, in their orbit, um, we, we need to maintain and keep those friendships open to impact people, don't we, Kevin? 
We do. But, you know, I have found that, you know, I, I get it when you walk up to somebody that you, that you know, that you know is probably not a Christian. And you start talking about God and talk about church and say, hey, do you want to come to my church? And they get a little freaked out. There's church people there. I don't want to go to your church. But you know what? When you tell people, hey, there's this movie that's coming out. You want to go to a movie with me? And that's an easier yeah. thing to do. What's interesting yeah. was when COVID happened. And they put this fear into all of us. You got to stay at home. You got to close down your businesses. You got to, you know, wear 40 masks, take 100 shots. Um, people flock to their computer. A lot of pastors, a lot of pastors say, you know, all of a sudden when we're streaming our service, we see the numbers going up because people got afraid and they started questioning things and they, they wanted to find some sort of hope in there. And that's um, really the most of the movies I do have hope in there and have redemption in there because that's what people are looking for, especially in today's world. You see things going on. I mean, the world has always been in chaos, you know, but it just seems like it's getting worse now when you look at the callousness of what we do in these in these wars and what Hamas did going in and beheading babies and you hear these oh stories and you just go, yeah. I, I, you, you can't even begin to fathom that people have that sort of a, a ability to do that to somebody, to do it to another human being. But, um, you know, my big fight is is abortion. Abortion is murder to me. Yeah, I understand these women, a lot of women are young and they're afraid and they they're led down the wrong path because in the last 60 years, we've made abortion just a common thing. Like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It is yeah. a big deal. These are the same people that want to save a tree or a sea turtle egg, but have been killing a baby is no big deal. I mean, what have we done to make us so callous and so casual about human life? I mean, it's 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 incredible. And I think there's a lot of things you could point at. But uh, it really comes down to what the governments have done and what uh, what uh, the media has done. Well, and, and you know, Kevin, like with the shooting uh, yesterday, uh, 22 people uh, dead uh, yeah. in Maine. You know, we're, we're three or four generations into kids being told uh, that, you know, life is expendable. Life is not yeah. sacred. It's not a gift from God. I mean, uh, it's no wonder that life is cheap and killing doesn't break our heart because, you know, we're, we're told there is no God. We all evolved out of the primordial soup. And if a, a pregnancy occurs, abort the baby. I mean, people are simply living out the message they've been given for, you know, four and a half, five decades. Yeah, it's a brainwashing with it. Here's another example. Here's this guy, though, ex-military, from what I understand. And here's a guy that had all kinds of problems. He's already threatened to kill people. They put him into some sort of, a, you know, physical therapy lab of some kind for two weeks. And then they released him. They released him. He kept saying, I got voices in my head telling me I got to kill people. He, he was already unstable. We are like we are like releasing unstable, mentally unfit people back into our society. Yeah. Like, it's no big deal. We hear about this stuff now every single day. It happens all the time. Since Biden is president, 7 million people have come across our border. 7 million. By, in yeah. Trump's four years, it was 1.4 million. 7 million people? That's more than the entire state of my home state of Minnesota. And, yeah. and, and all these people that say they're sanctuary cities, when Governor Abbott in Texas shipped a few busloads in New York City, they were all upset. Once again, showing the hypocrisy of these people. No, you're not a sanctuary city. You say it to make yourselves appear to look good. You have no idea what's going on down there. My wife went down to Brownsville. A friend of hers is doing, she's doing a documentary, okay? My wife witnessed thousands coming across that border and 90% were single men between the ages of 15 and 35. They weren't yeah. families coming across. And if there were any children, there'd be a dozen with one guy saying, oh, I'm their uncle. And the minute across the border, these kids are sold into the sex trade. 
Yeah. I mean, wake up, America. It's you lock your homes. I, I had a woman get in my face about that, about we, the border should be open. I said, do you lock your house at night? Well, yeah. Why? We can't lock a country, but you, you're going to lock your house because you're afraid something bad might happen. I mean, yeah. they're, they're the, they are the snake that eats their own tail. It's unbelievable the stuff that comes out of their mouths because they say the most hypocritical things. It's just it's easy to tear apart their logic. You, you know, Kevin, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I went to New York City and um, John Stossel, they were doing a show about America's sure. youth. And I, I was out at Karis right. uh, College teaching. Um, it's funny, they called me and they said, can you be in New York City by eight o'clock tonight? And it was about 11 a.m. And uh, they, the, the lady calls me from Fox News and she said, um, we don't care what it costs. Here's the Fox credit card number. Book yourself a ticket, get to New York City. And I was like, wow, uh, you're giving me the Fox credit card number. And she said, well, you're a minister. We trust you. She said, now, if, if a Rolex watch turns up on this credit card, we'll never invite <laughs> you back. So I said, okay. So I go to Denver. I fly to New York. And by 8 o'clock, I'm in this studio with um, Alan West and some other people and sure. uh, John Stossel. So during yeah. the break, John Stossel, and, and, and I want to point out the double-mindedness. We were talking, he leaned over, he said, thanks for coming. But he said, I'm an atheist. I don't really believe in God. And I'm, in my mind, I'm like, Lord, how do I navigate this conversation? And I, I sure. said, well, so you got kids? He said he had two daughters. And um, he said to me, he said, Alex, you know, people are basically good. I believe in the goodness of all people, John Stossel said. So I, I sure. asked him, I said, hey, uh, you ever been to Times Square on New Year's Eve? He said, of course. And uh, I said, do you let your daughters go there? That one was like eight, one was like 12. I said, would you let your daughters go to near, to Times Square on New Year's Eve alone? He said, of course not. I said, yeah, but you said people are basically good. I said, you don't let your daughters go to Times Square because you know deep down people can do terribly evil things. All yeah. of that said this. I mean, don't you feel like the woke left they misread human nature. All those people coming across our border, they're not people of goodwill. They're not no. going to make us better. They're jeopardizing America, right? If I saw the last statistic right, they, they've caught 70,000 that were on the terror watch list. I don't know where they get this terror watch list, but they were Syrians. They were from Iraq. They're from Iran. They're from uh, Lebanon. Um, you know, uh, I love how they just, they, they, they go, if you say something about the Muslims, they go right away. Well, not all Muslims are bad. Of course not. That's not what I just said. But they've already estimated that there's 450 million of them that are. There are already 450 million of them. That's more than 100, 100 million more than this country has. And every one of them I want to do ill will. My brother was stationed, he was in the army 23 years, Lieutenant Colonel Scott Sorbo, in his last two years stationed in Saudi Arabia, training troops to go in Afghanistan and Iraq. He, he very heavy Christian kid. And he was talking to all these Muslims for two years. What do we have to do to have peace with you? You must become Muslim. There was, there was no middle ground. Right. You are the infidel. If you do not become Muslim, we are called to kill you. There's no middle ground in there. So yeah. um, I don't know. I've looked through the New Testament and many times I still have to find any sentence where Jesus killed anybody. But if you read the Quran, there's a lot of violence in the Quran. There's a lot of violence in the Old Testament. I understand, I totally get that. I totally get it. Yeah. But uh, find me, find me where it says Jesus killed anybody. You won't find that. 
Well said, well said. Folks, we're talking with Kevin Sorbo. He is the uh, producer of the new movie Miracle in East Texas. Sorbostudios.com is the website. I would encourage you to see this film, but also he's the author of The Test of Lionhood. Kevin, is the best uh, place to get that book at uh, bravebooks.com? Yep, that's a great place to go. Bravebooks.com is great to go there. Sign up right now. And like I said, if you, you can get a signed copy of my book free as long as you join for at least one year. Join for a year. You'll get great, the great stories filled with values, morals, just stories, just teach some common sense in there. You know, these, these are the type of books that they want to ban in schools, of course, because they want to keep other books. They want to, they want to show your, your eight, nine-year-old how, uh, how two, two men have sex together. I mean, I've seen these books. And it blows my mind that this is what they're doing. When I was in school, and probably the same for you when you were in public schools, my dad taught 35 years, 7th and 8th grade, math and biology. Now, mm. when I was in school, teachers taught what they were supposed to teach. Yeah. There was, even in college, I didn't have any teachers telling me how to vote. Didn't tell no. me how not to vote. And I knew that. I grew up in Minnesota. My parents were Democrats. They were Walter Mondale, Hubert Humphrey Democrats. But I guarantee you right now, if you listen to even those speeches, go back to 1960 inauguration speech of JFK. Oh, yeah. There's not one Democrat that talks that way today. They would be conservatives today. There's no doubt. There's no Democrats that talk the way those guys talked back then. Oh, yeah, exactly. Now, we've got a break coming up, folks. Uh, Kevin Zorbo, yep. you can ask a question. It's 719-619-2341. Uh, Fathom Events, before this uh, commercial break, Kevin, tell us about Fathom, where people can buy a ticket for the movie Miracle in East Texas. Once again, go to SorboStudios.com. Sorbo, my last name, S-O-R-B-O, studios, as in studios, um, dot com. And you can click the link for Miracle East Texas, put in your zip code, and right away I'll show you where theater's near you. And it's, oh, we have two-day run only, this Sunday and Monday, October 29th and October 30th. Check uh, it out. Is there a, a, a video trailer or something people can share on social oh, yeah. media? The trailer's right on that site. You can watch that trailer right here. Maybe you guys should show it here. You can pop it up. You can show it right here. Oh, I, I would love to. I, I'm going to see if we can do that. And uh, yeah. folks, uh, we've got a break coming up. But uh, Kevin, I've got to ask you this before this break. Behind you on the wall, I can see a sword. Is that the Hercules sword? That was after seven years on the series, okay? Um, uh, my, my props department gave me the sword after seven years on the show. Uh, Hercules was so near and dear to me. And it says, you know... If, it's 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 I got the dates from 1993 to 1999. I lived down there for seven years, and it says the journey may be over, but the legend lives on. Isn't carved on there, so it's pretty and nice. So, so that's that sword has had some screen time, right? Um, no, this one this one is only given to me when the series is in it. I have a number of the original swords from Hercules and and costumes and things like that in storage, but uh, this sword uh, there's another sword that that um, if you use it, you could never lie. So I'd love to take that to Washington, D.C. <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, we got a break. Stay tuned, folks. Truth and Liberty is back after this. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square.
Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. But just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with ARMY, and fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through Army. Uh, there's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. Ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an Army member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here talking with actor, producer, director, author, and voice of truth, Kevin Sorbo. And uh, hey, Kevin, before we go back to calls and questions, I just want to say thank you for making time for tonight. But thank you for what you're doing for our nation, for God and country. I mean, you, you're an inspiration. And I know I speak for millions of people, but we appreciate you. You know, like I said, it was really a, kind of a calling for me. And it really happened, I told you, with my first movie back in 2010 called What If? That I shot with Dallas Jenkins. But I'm going to go back a little bit to a story that happened when I was 13 years old, if you don't mind. Uh, we took a trip um, to uh, to the Minnesota-Minneapolis State uh, Fairgrounds. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pastor Graham was there. Billy Graham was there speaking. Oh, wow. And it was outside. It was a hot August night. People, yes, Minnesota gets very hot in the summer. So uh, it was a hot, humid night, and this full moon was out. And there had to be, I think it was like 300,000 people there. It was like the outside. It was like the feeling of it was incredible. And after he spoke, I did something I probably wouldn't have done back at that age, but I was called to do it. He said, I have a lot of helpers out here, a lot of volunteers, a lot of people that, that work with our, uh, our, our Billy Graham Foundation. He goes, if you want to come talk to somebody, please feel free to come up. And I went up there. I was 13. I was sitting on the grass talking to this guy. He was probably 30 years old. So he was like an old guy when I was 13 years old. And all of a sudden, a hand went on my head. And I turned around and looked up, and it was Billy Graham. And his head was covering the moon perfectly. It was like, oh, I get goosebumps every time I tell him. And it was just amazing. And he sat and talked to me, and he prayed for me. And I told that story in the Larry King show years ago. I get a call about a month later from Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yeah. And they said, uh, Billy Graham and Larry, Larry, is it Larry Ross? The guy who runs this. Anyway, um, I got and they, Victor they said, Mark Hansen. We're doing a hardcover book for Chicken yeah. Soup for the Soul. The only time they've ever done a hardcover book. And um, Billy Graham saw your story on Larry King. And he was wondering if you would be one of the 101 stories and write that story in the book. And I wrote that story. And when the book was done, they called me up and they said, the Reverend really loved it if you uh, were able, he's in his nineties, he really can't get around very well. He would love if you could uh, do the publicity off the book. Cause by then I'd already shot Hercules and Andromeda and done movies and stuff. And I was completely honored. And they flew me around to do things like this, meet people like you and do talk shows around the country promoting the book. And that's something that stays with you for a long time. And I've been very good friends with his son, Franklin Graham for many years right now. In fact, oh, yeah. he called me up. A year and a half ago, he wanted me to travel to the North-South Korean border to pray at the border. And unfortunately, I was shooting a movie. And I was so mm -hmm. bummed out that I couldn't go and do that because that, to me, would be like 
it's, it's a bucket list thing without even knowing that what would have been a bucket list thing. But uh, it was it was cool. It was cool to uh, at least get that call from him and be able to you know have the opportunity to do that. Do, do you know, Kevin, uh, it's been my privilege to travel around and I meet people all over the place that sure. were uh, their life was impacted by Billy Graham. And, you know, me being from North yeah. Carolina, Billy Graham is just one of our favorite sure. sons in, in North Carolina. But um, that he, and he was, I mean, an amazing man of God. And, and I've heard so many similar stories like that. Um, I want to keep this about you and about the movie, but I, I've got to, you'll appreciate this. I had the privilege a couple of years ago to speak at Fort Bragg down, now they call it Fort sure. Liberty. But um, yeah. so uh, I was leaving Fayetteville and I, I go in this pawn shop. There's a pawn shop on the, ra- on the highway. Uh, you know, you never know what you'll find in a pawn shop. Anyway, there was a, a Filipino lady there and we were kind of making chit chat and she asked me what I uh, was doing at Fort Bragg. And I said, well, I, I got to speak in chapel and spoke to a lot of the soldiers. And she looked at me, she said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I said, are, are you a Christian? And she said, yes, in very broken English. And I said, how did you become a believer? Listen to this story. She said her earliest memory, she was in the Philippines and she was um, amongst all these people. And she said, a man picked me up and with the most beautiful smile I can remember, she said, I was like four to five years old. He said one word, this mysterious word. And she said, I would lay awake at night and repeat this word in my head because I didn't want to uh, forget the word. This man looked deep in my eyes and said one word. And she said, I just knew someday I'll find out what that word means. She said, years later, my family migrated from the Philippines to New Jersey. And she said, I was about 13 or 14, and a friend from school invited me to church. She said, I'd never been to church. And I go to church, and this man up there on the platform says that word, and it was the word Jesus. And she said, Mm. I became a Christian when I was about 13 or 14, and I found out Jesus that I had remembered since I was about four or five. So years and years and years go by. And her brother is doing like a family album and they come across this newspaper photo and the man that picked her up that looked deep in her eyes and whispered one mysterious word, Jesus, it was Billy Graham. And they they actually had a newspaper photo. So I told this to Will Graham, Franklin's son, who's a, a dear friend. And I said, isn't that amazing? Your granddaddy, Billy Graham, picked up a little child, looked deep into their eyes and just said, Jesus. And years later, that bore fruit. And Will Graham said, Alex, we hear stories like this all the time, said, apparently Billy Graham would would just say Jesus to a child or like you, you were, you know, a, a young man and he, he reached out to you. Now, here's the reason I took the time to tell that story. The Bible promises us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And Kevin, I think about what you're doing, man. You're you're a you're a beacon of light. You're a voice of truth. You're you're courageous. And God promises it it is not for naught. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Kevin, don't you feel like every one of us needs to really take it to heart that what we do can count for a long time. In fact, uh what we do, the way we influence other people, it truly does matter, doesn't it? 
Oh, no question. And I, I think I think most people want when they know they're going to leave this earth, they want to leave something behind that's in a positive thing instead of a negative thing. I mean, I, I I agree that most of the world, most of the world's people are good people. Yeah. But it doesn't take much evil to wreck it for a lot of people, as we mentioned with the shooter going in and killing 22 people, one bad apple, one bad seed, that what he did and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I think that I, mean, I got to go back a little bit to the story about this woman from the Philippines, because if you if she told me that story after all, hearing that whole story, I'd ask one question. I go, why did you go from the Philippines to New Jersey? <laughs> there's better. There's better places to go. Yeah, well, exactly. Do you up in Jersey. We're going to show this trailer. Uh, this is Miracle in East Texas. And uh, yep. so, folks, we want you to experience this movie October 29 and 30. It's going to, it's going to touch your life deeply. Um, I think we can roll this trailer now. So let's see it. So this is Texas. Very flat. I just believe the hand of Providence has been guiding our every step. We're going to hit oil right here on your plate. Duck board and dead. While they weren't much good at actually finding or drilling for oil, they both possessed an unusual facility for convincing people that they could do just that. Oil! I've never felt it so strong in all my life! Widows were the mother's milk of the petroleum hustle. Love is not time's fool. And now that they had a well, it was time to hit every widow they could find in a three-county radius. It's well. We can't bring it in. We've already sold close to 500%. Asshole. You can only have 100% of anything. I just wanted to be square with you because I care for you, ma'am. Give you back the $1,000 I took. That you swindled from other widows. I don't want you here. I want you out of my house. We got to take what we got and get as far away from Texas as we can get. You want me to walk away from it? We're crooks. We've conned all those old ladies. Yeah, we conned those old ladies, because that's what we do. I'm an oil man. Praise Jesus in all his glory. Lotharius. He's talking about you. True hand to God miracle is what it is. That's the gospel truth. Leave the rest up to Jesus! God's own bounty. Oil. Black gold. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow. So how long did it take to make the picture? Like from, from idea to final cut, how long does that take? Um, well, I had the script for a while. And, uh, you know, we, we were lucky enough to find funding for it uh, at a speaking event I was doing. Every time we've been funded on these movies, it's always been a God thing. I was speaking in Palm Springs in California. And uh, we did a Q&A afterwards, my wife and I, and then we were signing our books afterwards. And a gentleman walks up to the table. He'd been waiting in line. He slid a piece of paper across me, says, um, this is what I got. Can you make a movie with this? And I looked at it and I said, yes, I can. So... Um, once we had the money, uh, and that's grown ready to rock and roll, we very quickly, uh, three weeks of pre-production, which is highly unusual. Usually you're looking at two months. Uh, we rushed it and, uh, then we shot it over, over five weeks and people go five weeks to shoot a movie. People don't realize that most movies 
aren't like, you know, the, the you know, I don't know, Spider-Man or Thor. They'll take a year to two years to film these things. And then in post-production, they'll take, you know, another year with all these visual effects. There's a lot of work in there. I always bring up Clint Eastwood movies. There's a movie he did called Million Dollar Baby. It's about oh, a female yes. boxer made by Hilary Swank, okay? She wins Best Actress. Morgan Freeman won Best Supporting Actor. It's the movie won Best Picture. I think Clint Eastwood might have won Best Director. I can't remember. I know he won for Unforgiven. But they shot that movie in 27 days. Um, if you don't have a bunch of visual effects, you can shoot these movies much quicker. Um, so most of the movies I do in the independent world are four to maybe five weeks of filming. Post-production might take a little bit longer. But uh, this movie was set to come out... Uh, uh, just when COVID hit. So we luckily we put the brakes on because we don't want to release it with no theaters out there. So we waited now until we waited a good two years to make sure that people were going back to theaters and now they're going back to theaters. So, yeah. uh, you know, we could have gone to theaters that whole time anyway. Once with that whole fear factor, I can get in the ridiculousness of the rules they set up with COVID and mask wearing. And as soon as you go to a restaurant and sit down, you can take your mask off because apparently COVID is up above our heads. I don't, it was just, it was crazy the rules they put out there where they, we closed on mom and pop grocery store has been around for 60 years, but they kept Target open in Costco, didn't they? But it had nothing yes. to do about money at all. Come on. But they were uh, essential. that's another session we can talk about. Exactly. But, uh, most things I do ultimately shooting schedules four to six weeks at the most to film these movies. Um, I read years ago, I mean, this is probably 25 years ago. I, I read an interview with Alfred Hitchcock. And, and he right. said, uh, good directing is knowing what to leave out. Or, or maybe good editing, I guess he was saying. You know, the post-production, good, good editing is knowing what to leave out. Uh, yep. Is that true? When to quit. When to quit. And Matt, yeah. every editor I work with, you could edit forever. You just gotta find a place where you find just stop. You could always find another two seconds to take out or five seconds to put in. I mean, there's always this kind of stuff. I love the editing process. My wife and I said all of our movies, we sit in with the editor, you know, and because I I I'm very good at remembering everything I shot without seeing the film. Like, wait a minute, I know there was a shot that we did in here where he turned to his left and walked away. I want to see that shot again. So uh, for some reason, I got a crazy memory for stuff like that. But uh I, I think if I wasn't a, an actor and a director, I would have gone into editing. I think it's amazing. And it's much quicker now than it was in the old days where you had to cut and splice and tape. And, you know, it was much harder. Now everything on the computer, everything digital, it's it's just so quick to bring things up and move things and uh, make things kind of work different ways very quickly. Well, what do you feel like is the most challenging part of filmmaking? Um, patience. <laughs> <laughs> I like to move fast. I, I, I love that Clint Eastwood shoots eight hour days. You know, you get a lot of these young actors, young directors, they think you got to shoot 14 hours a day, six. No, you don't. You don't. I mean, I get if you got a highly technical visual effect shots you got to do that can take much longer. And I, I understand that. But I don't do those kind of movies. I do movies that, you know, that are, I call them actors movies that they're just really great stories. And uh I, I get I, I act like another first first AD in the set. My, I want a first AD to crack the whip, you know, first assistant director. I want him to get things going. Why are we waiting so long on makeup? Why are we waiting so long over here? Like the thing, let's go. I don't like to cut when I direct um, because a lot of times when you cut, then people want to go in and move a light a little bit. They want to go makeup a little bit. I think actors, being an actor, you lose a little bit of energy. If we do a scene, I'll run in and maybe give a direction, you know, hey, 
remember you're angry at her be a little more angry boom and get off the set and action keep it going and actors really appreciate that because if i flub up a line or somebody else i'm going just keep going keep going back it up you know uh to me i like that energy to keep up and keep going how do you memorize the lines or or are there cue cards um no there's no cue cards um <laughs> Uh, there are some actors who use cue cards, but I've only seen it happen twice in all the stuff I've been on, all the things I've done. I, uh, if it's if it's writing makes sense to me, it might not make sense to you the same. I, you might look at it, that's really odd to read it that way, but it might make sense to me. But if I find it weird, I'll talk to the writers and say, can I take this line out and say it this way without taking away the meaning? Um, most writers, 99%, are fine with that. Um, so to me, it's like... Uh, it, it really, I, I, I can memorize e easier if it, if it flows in my brain better. If it doesn't, and it's really technical or a lot of stuff, I got to read it a bunch of times. I got to look at it, look at it, and try to make sense in my mind what they're talking about. I, I don't, I hate saying lines that I don't understand what the meaning is behind a, a certain word. If it's get like, when you get in this, Andromeda had a lot of technical stuff. Most Luckily, most of that stuff went to my, um, went to uh, Lexa Doig, who had to play the, the android on the ship. And she got, she got thrown up with all the technical stuff. And uh, it was funny to watch her get angry when she blew a line. She was pretty, pretty funny. So, so like as an actor, uh, do you have to do it verbatim like the script or are you allowed to improvise? I improvise. I think people do. I mean, I I don't want to throw off, off throw off other actors um, if if they have they're going off what I'm talking about. But I'll, I'll always talk to the actors and say, you know what, I'm not going to say this, and I'll let the director know and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this line here. Just want you know ahead of time and rehearse a little bit with that person. But I always shoot rehearsals. I always shoot rehearsals uh, because I would say 25 percent of the time you go, why didn't I take that? That was so oh, yeah. amazing. So good because sometimes actors just for whatever reason maybe the other actor they're going against did something that motivated them to have this feeling that they weren't they didn't think was going to happen when they read the scene originally and those are moments you don't you want to catch that on film you want to catch it on film yeah the the trailer we just saw and by the way folks the trailer was for miracle in east texas it's a fathom theatrical release it's october 29 and 30 you can go to sorbostudios.com and get a ticket and um so uh is this going to be like in all the lower 48 and all 50 states or do, do you know yep, Kevin? Yep. we got 800 screens and if we do well with it we'll get more screens we'll get more time with it and we'll have an easier chance to get it to a streaming service, you know, and Netflix or an Amazon, because um, as difficult as they can make it for faith-based movies, this movie really, um, it's faith light. I got to say that the, the element is there for redemption and hope. And there is a, there's a wonderful shift in the movie that the audience will really like. Um, but it's not like in your face. I, I yeah. want this. I always talk about blindside. Blindside is a perfect example of a movie that, if anybody watched it, no matter where they stood, religiously, politically, whatever, um, if you said that was such a great Christian movie, that Christian family took in that African-American kid, you know, gave him a chance at life. And other people that don't didn't see that, go, no, it was a great sports movie. It was a great football movie. But the message still got there. The message was still there about what this family did for this kid. Whether yeah. they want to say it out loud or not, subconsciously, that message was still there. Sure. Hey, folks, by the way, uh, we're having a conversation with Kevin Sorbo, actor, director, filmmaker, 
author. And Truth and Liberty, uh, five nights a week, we're doing live broadcasting, bringing, as you can see, world-class guests. Let me just encourage you folks, because our nation so desperately needs a return to God, values, moral truth, faith, and family. These are the bedrocks of our freedom. So let me encourage you folks, if you would consider supporting Truth and Liberty, you can go to the website truthandliberty.net slash donate and be a part of, of what we're doing. Be a partner with us and help us because while the gospel is free, the love of God is free, it does take resources to do the filming, the streaming, the syndication, the crew, all that we're doing here. So join with us. Let's link arms. Let's be a voice of truth and call our nation back to God and truth. You can go to uh, truthandliberty.net slash donate, and we sincerely thank you. Uh, you know, Kevin, I, I've got to ask you this. And by the way, um, I want people to know about your your book, The Test of Lionhood. Um, what what are the recommended reading ages for for that book? What what age child would would be able to read that book? Four four years old up to twelve years of age. I think sure. there's some there's some great there's some great uh, messages in there. There's great stories in there. You know, and uh, um, you know the, the lionhood is really. It's really, like I said, it's a book about let kids be kids. Let kids grow up to find their own strengths and their own thing. You know, God God gave both both man and, and woman different gifts and different roles. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make men, women, and women men right now. And I don't know why we're doing that. That's um, crazy. I, I just had a crazy, crazy story the other day. There's a 50-year-old man uh, swimming against, what was it, 12 and 13-year-olds? Yeah. Identifying as a girl. Something against 12 and 13 year olds. And why do we allow this? Why are parents allowing this? You know, parents, just say no. Take your kids out. Yeah. Go form your own competition somewhere. Because this is absolutely crazy what we're doing out there. And my book isn't anti-trans. It's not anti-gay. It's nothing like that. It's just letting kids be kids. Let them be old enough to make the decisions they want to make in their lives when they become adults. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's just crazy. Because, you know, some some roles are meant only for men and some are meant only for women. That's kind of the way they set things set up. Both roles can be done that are similar, but for the most part, we have different things in the world that we're, that we're, that we're doing. So, you know, we say that men are masculine. We say women are feminine, but they, 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 fulfill, they fulfill roles that God made for them. It's as simple yeah. as that. I'm taking yeah. anything away from women, so don't get all crazy on me feminists out there and stuff like that. It's just that, you know, the the I think most women, I saw a video the other day of this woman who's a full-on liberal, and she says, why is it that I can't find a, a, a good man that's liberal? All the all the men that I that I find myself attracted to because of their masculinity and of their of their bravery are are conservatives. But she says, I can't marry conservatives. Got to be, you know. So what is going on in the world right now? It started with a feminist movement. It said this whole thing that men need to be more feminine. No, embrace your masculinity. Embrace Amen. it. There's nothing. This emasculation, we've been doing it for decades in sitcoms where dad is chunky and out of shape, mom's a babe, the teenage kids use dad as a pincushion for sarcasm. So kids have been growing up since the 70s thinking, you know what, the dad's not that important for the family. And that's what we've done. And they've done it on purpose. You know, earlier we mentioned um, uh, Gregory Peck. And of course, yeah. one of the great films of all time, To Kill a Mockingbird, yep. he played Atticus Finch. I mean, what what happened, Kevin? I mean, we had, you know, role models 
strong uh, masculine men that were redemptive. Uh, you know, um, you mentioned It's a Wonderful Life, great redemptive story. Um, you know, the, the feminist movement and that worldview, it really had a fundamental change on how we viewed uh, men, didn't it? Oh, yeah. And I, like I said, I think it's been done on purpose. For whatever reasons, we want to break up the family. You know, I, I, I made a copy of BLM, Black Lives Matter's manifesto. And ultimately, they took it down. Why'd they take it down? Because I think they, they saw a flaw in what they were trying to do. But in that, it says, get rid of God. We are, we are non-believers. We're communists. We're Marxists. Get rid of the family. They said, get rid of the family, uh, the family unit. They said that women being pregnant is equal to slavery. Yeah. And I'm thinking, and I think the three, two, two of the three people that, that, were the, that run Black Lives Matter, I believe, are transgenders. One became a man. One became a woman. And we're having these people tell us what the, the, the positive things and the negative things about what they're going after. And look at the violence. Everything was about violence. And what happened after billions of dollars were given these people because these big blue chip companies were really, oh, my gosh, I'm afraid that I'm not going to name them because they know who they are. Um, we're, we're afraid to look like they might be racist. And I said, are you kidding me? And what happened ultimately? They did nothing to help black communities. Nothing. Yeah. They took all the money and bought homes, took trips, and that's all out. Where's the uproar over that? Where are these companies now saying, you know what? It's ridiculous that we supported these people because it was all a farce. But yeah. my God, they support them. And it's just, it's really, it's really unbelievable that people just uh, are so afraid to admit that they're wrong. You look at CNN, MSNBC's people that's said all these things they said about COVID, about all that. Why didn't they come back and say, okay, we misled you. We were given wrong information. But nope, they don't do that. There's no apology. There's no I'm sorry that we shut down people's businesses, shut down schools, and uh, you know, put put kids behind in education. I mean, it's just it's it's weird what we're doing. And I think a lot of people once I told you before, the lines need to wake up because it's an, it's enough of this stuff. We're going to go to Texas. Uh, Anne in Texas, uh, who is a partner with Truth and Liberty, and we thank you. Welcome to the program, Anne. I am a proud partner of Truth and Liberty, and I'm so excited to have this guest today. I have a question about Hollywood. I've got a son graduating with a theater degree. I've got another son who works in media or has degrees in media. And I'm wondering, we hear Andrew Teach and others leaders teach about a third great awakening that is beginning. Do we have any signs that in Hollywood or in the area of the arts and film that any kind of awakening might be going on? You know, four years ago, I did a movie called Let There Be Light, which I highly recommend. My wife wrote it. I directed it. My kids are in it. Uh, Sean Hannity funded it. Another one of those God things. He called me up out of the blue and said, I want to do a movie with you. We, we, we pitched him the movie. He wrote a check right there and then. Um, wow. It is, a, it is a wonderful Christmas movie. If you haven't seen it, please see it. Let There Be Light. And that movie was a $3 million movie opening against Thor Ragnarok, a $300 million movie. Same weekend where our opening weekends. We're against this monster of a movie on 4,000 screens. We started, I think, on 700, and it worked up to about 1,500 screens because it just kept on building. It was in theaters for four months. We opened number two per screen average. So I get a call Monday morning from Netflix. They said, we want to meet with you. We want to talk to you about a uh, opening an inspirational division here at Netflix. They put it out in the trade papers. 
people were all excited. You know, people, more people signed up for Netflix saying, oh my gosh, they're finally gonna do something like that. And after four meetings over three months, ultimately they did nothing. But I got to look at it as a positive. At least they were aware of it because it still happened like four, four, four and a half years ago. So I have to take a positive out of that. But for whatever reasons, their ideology and their hate towards people that are Christians, people that are conservatives, overwhelms me. As I mentioned earlier, too, I don't harbor that kind of hate and anger. But there's 80 million homes in America that want the product that I put out there. Yeah. And yet they deny that going out there. And here's the toughest thing and frustrating thing for independent guys like me. When I do movies in the three to four million dollar range, if there's 80 million homes out there, I can't get a buck from each of those homes to make a movie. How, yeah. What is it that we, that I need to do to try to raise money? And I take the minimum as an actor. I'm in the DGM in the SAG. I take the minimum, but they say this is what the minimum you can take as a director. I don't sit there and try to. I made a tr trust me. I made a lot more money during my Hercules and Andromeda years than I'm making now. I'm doing movies now because I love making movies that make a difference in people's lives. But the hardest thing is to find the money to make these movies, and I can't I can't wrap my head around why we can't raise more money for these movies when Hollywood does these three hundred million dollars secular movies that have a lot of a lot of violence, a lot of hate, a lot of sex, and you're going. This is the battle that they're winning right now because you see that they're winning that battle. It's pretty obvious. And um, but I, I do believe that there is a bit, a bit of a wake up more. I, I look at what, you know, I can only imagine from the from the uh, um, from the Irwin brothers, you know, War Room from yeah. Kendrick's and, and Jesus God, Revolution. Yeah, Jesus Revolution. There is a there. Eventually, they got to wake up and realize they got to stop doing these woke movies and start doing movies that that more and more people want to see. And it doesn't have to be a Christian movie in your face. You better believe in God type of thing because people get turned off by that. I get it. But yeah, if yeah. you have movies, just have a good message. I think that makes a difference. And Hollywood, I think I, 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 I'm with you. I, I, I know that you asked that question, but I, I, I think there's a positive here. I do believe in hope and I believe, I believe in redemption. So I think we're going to see more better things coming down the road here. Well, we're just about out of time. Kevin Sorbo, I want to thank you. Um, please give our regards to your wife and family. We appreciate you so much. I, I know I get it. You're doing it as a calling and as a labor of love. And I, I know God is using you in ways we won't even know about till heaven, but uh, blessings on you, my friend. And I pray that Miracle in East Texas is a huge, huge success. Go to sorbostudios.com, sign up for the movie right there. Sign up for our, for, we put out, we put out information all the time on sorbostudios.com. And if you want, there's a place to even donate. Cause I'll tell you, we raised enough money to at least get this movie in the theaters for two days because of fans out there. Yeah. Um, wow. you know, so hey. we're hoping people jump on board. Almost out of time. Godspeed, my friend. Folks, thanks for listening to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland here saying God bless you. God bless America. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.